If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt, and today with me is Tom Leibelt, founder of We Market Online Courses. And today we're going to be talking about how to create best-selling online courses. So I've spoken to Tom on my podcast, The Advertising Hour, and we had such a great conversation that I just uh, had to bring you here today, Tom, to go more in-depth about online courses. So I'm really pleased to be speaking to you again. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, same here. Like when I seen it, I was, you know, that we're talking this week. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> like normally I'm <laughs> like, oh, man, it's another thing on my schedule. I'm like, oh, man. But like you said, it went by so fast um, yeah. that I kind of looked back. I was like, really? All this time already? It was like over a month. <laughs> now, I know who you are, but I'm going to have to ask you, unfortunately, to do a brief intro to our listeners. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so I've been in business and marketing and sales uh, since I was around seven years old in one way capacity or another. Um, had a brief stint in music, filmed a documentary. Um, so with sales, I was inside, outside retail, um, did a lot of that. Multiple businesses, online, offline, brick and mortar. So I get the pain of you know anyone that's still paying rent. The marketing part took off in like, my early 30s, I would say. And that's just been my complete focus since then. But, you know, it's been it's been a pretty long journey, you know, a lot of ups and downs. And like anyone else, you know, that's uh, a real business person, you know, like you, um, you just try a lot of stuff until you figure it out. Hmm. I'll tell our listeners that in the podcast I recorded you with you, we go way more in depth into your career and your storied career so far. So do go check that out if you want to learn more about Tom and his history. It's got such a fascinating background, which we, we unpicked in the last episode in quite a lot of detail. But one thing, Tom, that's interesting about your career, I'd kind of found the thread as we were talking in our last episode. And I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I realized that a lot of your career is based around creating things where traditional gatekeepers don't exist. So I was thinking, for example, documentary makers. So you've you've made your own documentary and published it, and it's available. Well, that's that's where a gatekeeper would have usually existed. There used to be film studios that used to have to take your film and then promote it and create it and sell it. You've just gone and done that yourself. At one point in your career, there was the self-publishing of Kindle books. Again, 
gatekeeper used to be that you go to a publishing company that no longer exists and you can publish direct on Kindle. And now I'm thinking, I'm thinking very similar things with online courses. It used to be just education establishments, but in the last decade, the wealth of online course platforms has opened this up. And I'm just interested to know whether that was ever anything you spotted in yourself. Was that intentional or not? And do you think there's anything to the fact that you've taken advantage of these spaces that traditionally had gatekeepers and now don't? I was always very anti-establishment, anti-authority when I was younger. (laughs) Um, But the one thing I always hated, and I didn't understand why people did it, is, you know, joining things where someone else would tell you if you're good enough, right? Like, you know, if you, for example, want to be in music, because that was one of the things I've done. So the regular path would be, you know, join the talent show or try to get some A&R to recruit you or try to, you know, go in through some kind of a connection or, you know, whatever. Just someone else needs to actually say, oh, yeah, you're great. We'll give you a contract. You can record. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, I can dominate, you know, whichever area I want to be in. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to put out my own stuff and I'll break down these walls, you know, because it's it's my music. It's my you know, plan, my idea, I'm keeping all the money and I'm going to, you know, do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me which song I can put and not put out on an album. No one's going to tell me who I can work with, where I can go. Like, I, I just never even acknowledged that that could happen. I think that's a, gr- a great motivational quote for anyone that's actually in the online course space and maybe is pondering creating a course and marketing it. It's, uh, you know, go- I think you just said at the end there, just go make it happen um, is the is the response there. Just to yeah, go, go back to that, um, when, when you mentioned, you know, the course creation, because we're, we're in the marketing space, but we dabbled a little bit, a little bit in the course creation, uh, maybe four or five years back. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is, and this is just normal with most of the humans that I come across, usually when they reached out to me, all they were really doing is asking for permission. Right. And I'm like, you don't need my permission. I mean, I gave it to them so they felt better about, you know, what they're doing. But I'm like, you don't, you don't need my permission. Like this is completely irrelevant whether I think you should or should not. Now, if you asked me, you know, different questions like, well, which do you think my course will make money? And, you know, a couple different, you know, how should I position it? Sure. But, you know, should I create this? I'm like, I don't know. That's that's yeah. you. That's not up to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I think we go into that because I remember there's something you've got quite a lot of detail on your website, like FAQs. And somewhere in there, you talk about the fact that where is it? I think it's something about it's about being a thought leader and authority in your field and actually being sensible about knowing people need to know what their goals are for creating a course before they before they actually ask you to market it. Um, and really think strongly about that. So we'll get maybe, maybe into that I- I- in a bit. I want to start off with just the course platforms that are available. So if you have any particular preference when you're marketing, and even if you're aware of the creation side of uh, the preferred platforms that you'd recommend for course creation, um, and maybe actually just think about if there are any platforms that have particularly good or particularly weak marketing features. I think none of the platforms will really make a big difference in your marketing efforts. So the way I think about these platforms, um, there are three different pieces that they usually try to fill, right? The first one is hosting your actual course. That's what they're meant to do, right? And that's the only piece that they should be doing well, which a lot of them don't, right? They'll go down and there's like a lot of nonsense happening. 
but that's the main piece. Like I go on a course platform because I want them to host my course, right? Just like when I go on a um, audio platform to host my podcast, just just make sure you host my podcast, right? And people can get it. That's what I want you to do. Don't don't try to be fancy with it. Now with the course platforms, they have two other pieces that they try to do. One is checkout process. A lot of them do it in a really really bad way, right? So the two of the most popular ones right now, uh, Thinkific and Teachable, right? Which you know are decent hosting platforms, I'd say. Their checkout processes suck. They're so bad when it comes to marketing, and what they do is they force your customer or your student to first enroll into their account. So they have to get a Thinkific account or a Teachable account and then purchase your course. Well, anytime you introduce another step like that, a lot of people leave. So what happens with most of these platforms is you have to create another piece of your marketing, which is enrolled in the school, but never bought. Right. And now that's a big piece which you have to pull people back in. Now they do try to, you know, implement like one step checkouts, like they're, you know, like this is a new thing, you know, just to make it easy. And it's in beta for, for them, but it's still not smooth. You can't control that process. In the beginning, I would not worry much about it. Just understand that it's a limitation. Kajabi, I guess, does a maybe a little better job with that. But that's another piece they introduce, right? And all of these platforms, you know, you always got to stay aware of, you know, what's the checkout process like, unless you're actually going to do it by yourself. And then the third piece is they try to host your actual sales pages. And that part, I just do not like whatsoever. I'm really about speed and control, right? So you need to host your own sales process. You know, these these platforms should not be looked at as, you know, they're going to hold my website. Their design functions are horrible. Um, you can't control, like I said, the speed. Um, you can't really control the site properly. You can't control um, the design, right? So you can't get rid of the footer, uh, the footer and the header often. Um, and then people click away, right? Like on the sales page or an opt-in page, like you want the only thing that's clickable is the next step, which is I'm getting a lead magnet or I'm actually clicking purchase. Like, I don't want you to be able to look at a different course or look at the about me page. Like, you know, that's not the function of a, of those pages, especially on an opt-in page. If you have people that can click off somewhere else, you're going to be bleeding money a lot because you're spending for people to go on and give them your, give you uh, their email address. So if they don't do that and they're clicking away somewhere else, like we just lost, you know, whatever it is, a dollar, dollar fifty a lead, or you know, because they, they never went into it. So that part needs to be controlled by you. So just understand what these platforms are for, and they are to host your course. And initially, only initially, you can let them take care of the checkout process. But eventually, you want to control that part too. I guess the two points that you just touched on there: the both the checkout process and also the landing page build are they aspects of the marketing for courses that you get involved in at your company we sort of have to because like this is the thing when someone buys a course right they need to go through the whole process they need to be interrupted they need to you know um, be met halfway in whatever they're thinking you need to get them to join your conversation then you need to frame what you're selling whether it's convincing them that the outcome is going to happen or just framing um there's different ways of doing it but that's the lead magnets job then you pre-sell them in the email sequence or your videos or webinar. And then once they're pre-sold, you need to kind of wrap that all up 
in a sales page and then handle the last objections, questions, blah, blah, blah. So all this stuff needs to be done properly or people are going to bounce, right? And this is before they even see the checkout. Because again, if the checkout is bad, then you got a different problem. But the marketing piece goes before that, right? So it starts from the second you try to interrupt someone to the moment where they're about to click on the checkout button. This is all a part of the marketing. Like we need to make sure we move them through the sales conversation properly. In that process, do you have any landing page builders or checkout or payment feature tools that you prefer using just because they're super easy? Like, you know, a lot of people use um, ClickFunnels and other things, but, you know, we don't like uh, any of these tools. Like I, I usually say, look, don't don't think about the tools as a limitation. So use whatever is easiest. And as, you, as soon as you start making money and it's working, then you take it off and put it on your own, hopefully like WordPress side or um, I think Ghost is a new one that people are using. But, you know, you just put it on your own platform. Initially, just start on anything. Um, for other responders, we really do like ConvertKit when you're starting out. And then we usually would want to move you to Infusionsoft. That's actually a proper one, but it's quite, way more expensive. So it's not a beginner thing. So WordPress, we would usually say for all of the pages and the blog, ConvertKit for your other responder. Um, if you actually want to do check your own checkout process, something like ThriveCard, which connects with Stripe and PayPal, is really easy. You can control that whole situation. And then you can use Zap, um, Zapier to enroll people by Zap into, you know, when someone pays, you Zap them into the, the school. But that's usually a step which would be, you know, like a secondary after you're actually making money. Initially, just think like, look, if you're comfortable with ClickFunnels, just do that. Use whichever uh, other responder you want to use. And, you know, then then use the hosting by whatever, Teachable, Kajabi, Thinkific, they're all similar. You know, um, you can use WordPress plugins. Like the tools don't actually matter that much, in my opinion. I am interested to know in terms of this platform and tools aspect and where to launch. There's a note on your site somewhere that says that your services aren't particularly useful for those who have chosen to launch on Udemy. And I just was curious to know why that is. It's just a marketplace. You know, you have zero control, um, zero control over your email, right. list, zero control over your customers, the checkout process, anything, pricing. You're, you're just locked in. You're basically paid a commission um, by someone else to just using your content. Like you, you, it's not a business. You're not, you know, there's nothing you can really do with it. And, and the prices are just, you know, hilarious. Like right. I've seen um, a lot of, People that have been really successful in Udemy come to me to actually launch a flagship course because they can't do it. You know, people don't want to buy. And I'm like, well, now you got to, you know, break out of this $10 expert um, arena, you know, because what, what happens mm-hmm. is uh, everyone gets to know them as a $10 expert and then they launch something for 500 bucks. They do a webinar. And the first thing they see is 30 people from their Udemy courses being like, why are you selling the same garbage for $500 or whatever? You know, it's, it's just, you know, human nature. Like they just, they, they pictured you one way and now you got to break out of it. Interesting. That's a really interesting way to think about it. And one I haven't really thought about. So you almost, the platform's almost so saturated that launching on there could devalue your work essentially. Yeah. I mean, look, you can make a lot of money on Udemy, but it's all a short term play. Right. It's like a hustle. Mm. Like I'm going to, you know, game Google for the next two years and then bam, you're done. It's the same thing with you and me. Most of people, you know, they'll, they'll game it for a couple of years, make some money. I actually had a client which we launched a lot of lead magnets um, on Udemy. He made almost a quarter million dollars and then boom, Udemy just took off like 5,000 reviews and, you know, it plummeted. But we knew why we were doing it. Right? We were using Udemy to get the traffic and throwing people into a Facebook group. Which, you know, there are ways of doing that with Udemy. Um, but you got to ask. 
and then moving them into the ecosystem of his own, which is the email list, and then, you know, making the sales of what we wanted to. And the stuff that was produced on, on, on Udemy was good, but it was meant to be low value, right? So no one actually came off of it being like, oh, wow, you know, you're giving the same stuff. But it was obvious that it wasn't the same stuff. Uh, but it's not a route I would recommend. It's like a very long way to get to point B, you know, from, from the beginning. Speaking about the, the early part of course building and course marketing and that, that whole process, are you an advocate for validating ideas for courses through advertising as well? So, for example, if you have maybe an early, you know, a four-stage video course that maybe is free and you promote that through ads to gauge whether your premium course is going to be valuable is that something you'd advocate is that something you support with so we do it but i you know usually tell people to not build the course first you know like like building it all out and then coming up to me and being like hey tom help me validate this I'm, i'm like you're in the most dangerous spot right now because you've put in all this work and the market can really quickly tell us that they want something else right so maybe you created a public speaking course, but they say they want something on persuasion and let's say our sales jobs or something, you know, whatever. And really fast, I'm like, well, I mean, I got the audience, I got the message, I got the channel, but you got the wrong course. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you made it doesn't mean anyone wants to buy it. Do you deal with a lot of frustrated customers or potential customers where they've built entire courses, but the actual substance of the course isn't, is too, just too difficult to advertise because it doesn't have demand? Not much anymore. Um, like if you looked at our pages in our funnel, um, it's designed much more to push people away than bring people in, right? So right. like I've designed everything to get all those people to stop and never even try to get on a call with me. Um, so I don't have to deal with it. But if I did not, then yes, I, I would have a lot of those, um, you know, very... And, and in the beginning, yes, I when I still um, just started off and I didn't have these things in place to kind of push people away. Yeah, yeah, I had, you know, these wannabe experts, you know, who made a course on something that they should never have and spent all this time and money. They didn't know if people wanted it because no one asked for it. You know, I'd have people um, coming to me uh, trying to teach small businesses how to advertise and position in the marketplace while needing my help to advertise and position their course. I had people um, trying to, you know, do uh, health, fitness, and diet stuff. I'm like, okay, well, why did you come up with this? I'm like, oh, I lost 15 pounds. I'm like, well, you don't look that great. I don't understand. You're not an expert. You're not in the field. You have no schooling. Then at the end, they'd say something like, oh, yeah, but I'm also traveling in South America, and I don't want to go back to work, so I made a course. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Now go away. So, you know, these things, yeah, all the time. But like I said, we push these people away as much as possible. And even now... If some of them sneak through and I'll see this in the survey that we first put out before you get on the call, I'm like, uh, we're just not a good fit. Sorry. Well, interesting, because I wanted to talk about this subject in a little bit more detail c- coming back from the beginning of our conversation. So could you describe the goals that most often clients or potential clients come to you with? So you just talked about, I think, thought leadership. You talked about wanting to make a little bit of extra money. And I think uh, maybe trying to become an authority in a field that they're actually not that experienced in. Could you maybe elaborate and expand on that? Well, the main reason why you would want to build an online course is to productize yourself and your knowledge, right? To finally stop trading time for money. That's, that's really where it's at. Mm-hmm. To have an offering 
that's in between your low end, you know, your little book or whatever you're putting out, and maybe your coaching and in-person program, which is very expensive. So you have something for those in-the-middle people who maybe they want to learn Japanese calligraphy, but they have zero interest of visiting you into Japan, right? They just don't want to do it. And they also don't want to see a little book. They actually want to have someone teach them, you know, in a visual and more engaging way. So it's it's just another piece, right? It's something I think of as, you know, build once and sell multiple times. Uh, and especially now with things, you know, being kind of shuffled a little bit, you know, a lot of coaches can't go to companies and do trainings and they might not be able to in the same way if the companies are not getting, you know, these uh, offices back and just don't want to do it. Then you have all the speakers um, who no longer can really go and speak because the conferences are shut down and, you know, things are moving on virtual summits, but those don't really work as well. They're more like, you know, uh, MLMs, you know, hey, if you bring five people, then you bring five more people. Well, you know, so also very different strategy for them now. Then you also have uh, small business owners and other practitioners who now finally are looking at their competition as buyers. And being like, well, you know, this information that they would probably want to steal from me because I'm so good, I'm actually going to put the price on it and sell it to them. And that's another piece, you know, which I see people do. So a lot of different, you know, ways to think about it. But mostly it's just to productize your your knowledge and, you know, stop trading time for money. That's the main thing that people would want. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand... You need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. There's one thing you said as you were talking is that I think we spoke about this on the the podcast we recorded a couple of weeks ago as well, is that you have a lot of confidence in what you do and don't like. You cut through the noise very easily. There's a lot of confidence in that. And you talked about on your website being very explicit about who your services are for and who they're not for so that you qualify potential customers a lot earlier in the process. I think that in general, marketers really struggle with that explicitness. They're always worried, and I see this quite often, people are always worried about worried about the customers that they're going to lose more so than doubling down on the customers that they're trying to win. It sounds like this is a an approach that you also take when marketing your clients' courses. 
Yeah, it's the same thing. And and this is why, you know, when you become good at what you do, you also want to work with other people who are just as good, right? You know, um, working with amateurs is going to be really hard. You know, it's like trying to sell a course for someone that's afraid of sales and thinks selling is bad. I'm like, well, what, why did you make it then? Why are you asking me to sell it? Right. Like it, it's just there's a lot of stuff that you kind of have to do a lot of uh, counseling and sort of, you know, get over their wherever mental issues are with, with things. And, and I'd rather just deal with a professional, you know, that understands the same thing as me. They're like, look, my time is, you know, worth this much. Like I understand what we need to do. It's not going to be easy, maybe, but, you know, with your help. And then, you know, once again, then I look back and I'm like, well, I got to make sure I want to work with this person. I want to make sure that this is a niche that I have clarity on that I know. We can, you know, do a home run or at least I'm fairly confident. So it, it just comes together that way. You know, not always the case. Like when I was starting out, you know, I was struggling with my um, messaging also and who my ideal client was. And I think that's a big problem for marketers. You know, just, you know, if, if you're initially not making money, then, you know, you'll take whoever on, which is okay. You know, and quickly you should figure out which of those clients you liked, which you didn't, which ones you were able to do well which you were not, which part of the job you enjoyed and which ones you want to cut out moving on forward, right? So like you learn in the beginning. So then eventually you can just be like, no, this is what we do. This is how we do it. It's my company. I run it, not you. If you want to come aboard, if not, cool, next, right? So uh, it, it just happens over time. And this is not of being, you know, like looking down on anyone. It's just, this is my business. This is the way I want to run it. And for me to be able to help my clients in the best way possible, I got to be happy with uh, what I'm doing. And it makes it more enjoyable for you, I imagine, as well. Like you wouldn't enjoy it if you were not sticking to your principles, the things that you just explained. Yeah, so what we did this year, and you know, you heard a lot of uh, people speak about what it's going to be like around March. If you think back on socials, right? Oh, uh, it's you're either going to be um, in this spot or that spot in ten months, right? So you can either hustle and be way better off, or you're going to fall behind like everyone else watching Netflix, right? So you had this like you know kind of big messaging kind of, you know, like Gary V type thing going on back then. So with, with our company, like we were doing well. And again, we got lucky with online courses. The niche blew up, you know, it was, you know, kind of fortunate for us, but, you know, uh, during the circumstance, but still we were kind of uncertain, right? We were doing well, but not sure how long it was going to last. Just because, you know, this is something that never happened before. So we really narrowed in on our offering, on who we want to work with, and we went hard into systems, even more, much harder than before, to make sure we have leads coming in at all times. And lately, it's been overwhelming. We've been saying no much more than we've been saying yes, but it was due to that. But the main thing I want to put across is we created a piggy bank. This was the whole plan from the beginning. So our company created an 18-month runway for ourselves. So it means that for the next 18 months, if something happens, we don't have to get one job or make $1, which is impossible because we have enough income streams and we can still be okay. And the moment that happened, we were able to completely flip the business again, right? So we decided that we are from now on our biggest customer. So we're going to take care of ourselves first. And this means that we only now work with clients Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Mondays and Fridays are our, our own days and nothing will change that. And we're going to work on our own stuff. If someone leaves, that's fine. We have enough ideas and plans where we can make more money, probably long term, even though we do enjoy working with clients, just not too many anymore. So we also limited the number of clients and we really designed our business to become what we want to be, you know, in the long term, not just being reactive. We really 
thought this through because of having this piggy bank. Initially, that was the whole goal. If we have that, we can really figure out the next step. And I find for most business people, that should be the main focus, right? To create that freedom for themselves. Because anytime you're in this pinch where like, oh man, I got to pay for all this stuff and I don't know where, you know, my uh, next job is going to come from or, you know, this and that, you don't always make the best decisions. You know, even though I was pretty good with it, even, you know, in the beginning when we were not doing so well, because we were starting out, so people didn't know who we were, I was still pushing quite a few people away because I'm like, oh, they're going to be problems. Let's, you know, leave this spot open and someone else will come in. And usually they did. But it just becomes easier once you have, you know, that that freedom that you kind of build up for yourself. It becomes much easier to really stick with your principles. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I could go off on that topic for probably a whole other episode, so I might have to bring it back in a moment to <laughs> online courses. But but what's interesting to me about what you just said is that it's the the purest form of marketing and selling comes when you have that freedom. And I know just working in an agency and having worked in agency environments that the actual the skill of marketing is often disrupted by other motives, other obstacles, all of those things that you ha- that get in your way when you don't have that freedom or you don't focus on the freedom. And so um, I'm a firm believer in what you've just said. And again, uh, I might have to bring it back to online courses in a moment, but we were talking just before this episode, b- before we press record about the way that you work, which you've kind of just expanded on then. And I think that's the aspiration of a lot of marketers. It's a, I, I refer to it as seasonal working. You, you, are, you have really intense, busy periods, but you set yourself up a runway so that you know when it's less busy or when you want to take the time out, you've got that time and freedom to do that. So it sounds like you're in a really good place lifestyle-wise. And that freedom gives you the opportunity to double down on your principles and be a better marketer, be a more confident marketer. Yeah, learning how to say no at, at some point, and not in the beginning maybe, but at some point in your business will do more for you than actually saying yes to things. Okay, I'm going to bring the conversation back to um, to marketing online courses for a moment. Going back to, yeah, whether it's someone that's created um, a course for the first time, they've just got in contact with you, maybe they've got through your, your copywriting on your website and they're a qualified lead for you, a qualified potential customer. Do you think it's important for those people to have an existing network to promote a course? So do you think it's possible to achieve success if you don't have an existing network and you're just doing this from scratch? It all depends on your budget, right? So you can buy your initial thousand followers really quickly. And I'm say, not saying like Facebook. I'm saying you're actually going to have to put in some work to get the right people on your email list, but you can buy them, you know, pretty easily and quickly if you have the money. Now, for most people, you know, it's actually better because if you're not an expert, it's better to slowly build up this list so that you have a larger number of interactions with them before. And with that, you can see which emails get the best opens, you know, what's uh, read more than not uh, and gets kind of responses, what people ask for, right? Like the longer you have a relationship with, you know, these, these customers, potential customers, the easier it is. Like in our business, you know, we, you know, speak with our email list usually once a week unless there's some kind of a distraction like the election or you know christmas i'm not, I'm not going to bother people but we speak with them we give insights we you know kind of try to have a conversation and we get people asking for things all the time and if, you know we have 20 people ask for one thing we're like hmm, maybe we should build this out 
and sell to them, right? But it happens very naturally, and it's a much easier thing than, okay, I'm going to quickly buy a list of a 1,000 people. We're going to throw in some things together. Hopefully, they respond to it, and I'm going to run on assumptions a lot more, right? It just becomes much more cost-effective and easier if you do it, you know, um, slower. But once again, if you have a big budget, well, you can kind of, you know, push through a lot of these walls. And, you know, I'm going to, well, I'm going to buy 3,000 people and our 5,000 people. I'll have a big email list. And, you know, if they came in with this, if, you know, Tom kind of helped me with the lead magnet, then we know we're getting the right people. They're getting framed for what I'm trying to offer them. Like, it's all doable, but it's going to be much more expensive because you're trying to go fast, right? So remember that triangle, like you can go fast. What was it? Uh, speed, quality, and price. Right. And you can only get two at the, at one time. So good quality and speed is going to be very expensive. Right. You just, um, maybe you can put that triangle in the show notes. You can find it somewhere, but that's, that's usually what happens. So if you want to go slow and quality, then it's not going to be as expensive. And that's usually a big problem for people starting out. Um, they have a budget, but it's not huge. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't want to start bleeding money left and right. Um, trying to make this happen. So I prefer if someone already has. A relationship with at least you know a thousand people maybe they haven't bought anything hopefully you didn't pitch them garbage on udemy for the last four months because they're going to be kind of burnt out and not want to buy your stuff now but you know if it's if you have a relationship like that it's much easier so i do prefer yeah if you you know the network i mean depends if you're uh, thinking about partnerships affiliates and stuff like that then yeah a network can do it for you as well and I've seen this with a client previously. Um, she was running a, a course um, with her husband, and they were playing with lead magnets and audiences for about two years. And when they finally got their big affiliate, which was Brian Tracy, the business went 10x within a month, right? One affiliate. That's the network. But they pretty much have everything figured out, and we kind of dialed stuff in. But you know, this one affiliate has really pushed the business you know, tremendously forward. So... It does work, but you know, in the beginning, like yeah, I, I do prefer that. And you touched on budgets, which is something I was going to talk about anyway. And it, in a way, you've answered my question: is that it sounds like if you don't have an existing audience, you need to be prepared to increase your budget to compete because you're going to have to build an audience in the process. And perhaps if you have an existing audience, you can maybe afford to spend slightly less or just focus all of your budget on actually just selling that course as opposed to building your audience in the process. So that makes sense. Do you have any other budgeting tips when it comes to marketing online courses, anything people should be aware of? I mean, it's like with anything else, right? Uh, if Do people underestimate, for example, typically what they need to, is it a space where people underestimate the budget they require? I mean, I, th I think most of the people charge around the same. Um, you know, there's like, we, we are, told often that we're one of the most i guess pricey ones but then only one of right so you know there's there's other people i i would imagine the same caliber who are you know probably the same and then the ones you have to worry about who the marketers who are giving you cheap prices and blanket statements that's what i would say and that's for anything i'm thinking about myself as a customer right because for most things blanket statements yeah. just don't work very well it depends is usually the better answer but now they're getting kind of slick and i see even a lot of these like lower quality they say it depends but they actually have no idea what comes after that so sometimes what happens is if you pick a provider that doesn't know what they're doing you actually just lose time and money you know and then you see this with anything like um 
even if I have like a medical thing that I'm wondering about, right? Like whether it's uh, like something is, doesn't feel right at the gym or something, and I'll speak to, let's say, three, four doctors. The funny thing is I'll get four different diagnoses, <laughs> yeah. right? And and often I'll ask, you know, my friends um, to refer someone and they usually all refer the same person, usually, you know, more expensive than the others. But again, even they... If they're caring about you, and this is why I often, you know, talk about the budget a little bit, even with people who can easily afford me, is, you know, there's no reason to spend more than you than you need to, you know, take that money and, and have a vacation with your family. So by, you know, trying to speed things up a lot, you know, you're burning through money and not getting that initial experience that you have that's going to make things much easier for you moving forward. And, and that's kind of why I stress that because, you know, normally I could say like, well, yeah, we can just, you know, throw money at the problem and buy a big audience, but it's not the same. It's really not the same. And you could do it in a much smarter way by just creating like a six month longer plan um, before you put the course out. In terms of the actual marketing of courses, and I appreciate this is such a broad topic that we're not going to go, be able to go into hugely granular detail, but I am interested in some of the, again, principles of how you market courses. And just looking through your website, it seems like a good place to start is ad platforms. So it seems like a lot of your work is built around promotion of courses on Facebook, YouTube, and I think I saw Gmail and Gmail ads is that the case? Do you use any other ad platforms? And is there a reason that you choose to work on those particular platforms? So those are usually when we can find the initial audience, right? And it's what initially people think of as marketing, right? They think like, oh, where are we going to put the ads or get the traffic, which is just one piece of the puzzle. But, you know, there are different. You can, I've seen people be successful on Quora, on Reddit, on, on other, other places, which... Um, you know, you find once you figure out who the ideal client is. But initially, you know, most of the people will fall into either the AdWords or the Facebook network, right? Depending, like, you know, the, when you're first starting out. And with AdWords, that could be anything, Gmail, YouTube, search, display. Um, but I would say just that's where the majority is. But let me go into the marketing of it just a little bit. You ask about principles, and I'll give you principles. When you are advertising to people, right, this is your ad, and the ad could be anywhere, any platform. Don't think about platforms right now. We're going strictly into the pieces of the puzzle. When you're advertising to people, there are two ways you want to play with it. Either you are taking a person away from where the pain is, right? So I'm going to move you from, let's say you're a web designer. You're probably working for someone. You know, you have um, different gigs. You're on the job. You're stressed out. I can, I'm trying to move you away from that place into somewhere somewhere better, right? Because a lot of people just feel the pain much more. Or I'm showing you what's possible, right? Like what would happen if you had an extra $10,000 and you could get gigs like that? What would happen if you finally got your freedom back? What would happen if you could fire your boss, right? So you're, I'm pushing you towards the income and your doubt comes much more than I'm pulling you away from, you know, like the, the place of pain, like, you know, which would be like how long before you finally do what you wanted to from the beginning, you know, as a web designer. Like what, so, so there are two different ways of getting people's attention, but usually it's one of those two. And you want to play with those when you're testing that out. Um, lead magnet. Most people and platforms recommend to educate people with the lead magnet. Put up a mini course or, you know, checklist, blah, blah, blah. Horrible, horrible pieces of advice. This is what a lead magnet is for. You're either framing a component, like the, the, the main component of what you will expand on. So um, 
let me give you an example. If someone is uh, doing a course on anxiety and meditation, for example, right? You do not want to give people a meditation lesson. Because if you just taught them what they need, they're going to check that off. And then when you want to sell them another meditation course, they're going to be like, well, this, this is stupid. Like, I already got the meditation course. I figured this out. I'll do it next week. Why am I going to get more information from you? Right? So you want to boil it down to the main component, which could be the breath. Right? So you want to convince them that the outcome is possible, right? that they can get over anxiety. They can have a better life. They have. And this is all depending on figuring out your breath. Then you teach them all the different you know, things in history, how people use their breath to you know, become better. Blah, blah. So in the end, this person understands that the key they, they're convinced of the outcome. Now they know if they learn the breath, you know, well, they can do it. But they also understand that the key that's missing, the piece that's missing from them where they are now and where they want to be is mastering the breath. And that's what later on you're going to teach them because you haven't taught them anything. You just convinced them that that's the piece and why that's, that is the piece and, you know, you're the person to teach. So moving on from the lead magnet, once you convince someone of the outcome that it's possible, right? Now you're pre-selling. So this is when you go again, taking people away from the pain, showing them the different outcomes, telling them why this method is better than the others, how other people had the method to in front of them, and they also overcame these obstacles. Maybe your story, like different ways, you're selling now. The email sequence is all about making a sale and convincing people in a little longer span, because often for educational thing, you will need a few points of contact with the customer before they're really ready to spend the $500. This could be done in a webinar too, um, but I recommend doing it in emails first because you can figure it out before you try to just do it once in a webinar and then you don't know, well, which part did people like, did not like, which one was working, right? So if you have all this stuff already figured out and you know that this sequence makes sales, then you can make a webinar out of that. But you're pre-selling people already within the emails. And there's, you know, uh, this is gets very complicated too. So it could be its own episode. But just understand that's the role of the email, email sequence. You're, this is when you're selling. And the sales page needs to wrap everything up. It needs to remind them of the breath. It needs to remind them of the outcome and convince them again with the social proof, everything. Have all the outcomes, everything, who it's for, who it's not for, testimonials, most uh, asked questions, you know, easy checkout process. What are the bonuses? You know, like your story, who you are, like it just wraps up everything. People should be pre-sold when they get to the sales page. And that should kind of wrap up the whole process and ask them to now take action and buy. If you yeah. don't understand what each of these components is for, you often try to tackle the wrong problem. I am interested in the early ad process as well. And particularly thinking about what you just said in terms of I'm framing it in my mind as it's the it's the need, but there's a less urgent way to market that need and there's a more urgent way to market to that need. There's a kind of scale in promoting that need. Do you think that's easier? Is it easier to drive people to click with video when you're using those initial ads or do you use do you just use image and copy-based ads? Have you found any differences in what's more effective? No, this is, you just got to split test that. The, the main thing you right. need to understand that the advertising itself, the initial part, you're interrupting the scrolling zombies and you need to meet them in where they're thinking, right? So if they're a web designer and they're tired of listening to their boss, 
this is exactly what you need to say to get their attention, mm-hmm. right? And you're not selling anything. You're not showing any, um, any courses yet. This is not the role of the advertising. The only thing is meet them in the, in where, where they're thinking and get them to join your conversation. What's going to be on the opt-in page and in the lead magnet. And this is where you're going to, you know, to convince them of the outcome and stuff like that. So in, in the beginning, all you want to do is, you know, get them into the conversation and either this depends on split testing. See if it's more likely that you're going to get people interested by pulling them away from the situation they're in now or by pushing them towards the situation they want to be in. Right. So that's why you kind of focus on one or the other when you're split testing, because it could be different in every niche, but you need to understand the components of it. One interesting thing is you're talking that I realize is that, so you're creating the end to end experience for your customers. The entire service is the essentially the funnel and the different aspects of that funnel. And the beautiful thing about taking into control marketing your own online courses is that once you have that funnel, is that you have it forever. Now, there must, I assume, still be a life cycle of a course, but I'm not too It depends on the industry and the niche, I guess. Do you work with your clients on creating the funnel, running that with that for a number of months, and then handing it over to them to manage? Or is this something that you manage long term for them? Uh, like, my goal is to get away from it as quick as possible. Um, so, usually, maybe yeah. three, four months at most, and I step away. And what usually happens, I have people like about 30% of our clients come back all the time saying like, hey, Tom, I have a new course now, a new idea. People have been asking for this. Let's create another one. Or, you know, the ad stopped working a little bit. Can you help me split test some extra ideas? Um, during validation, you know, some of them will start getting some bites, but maybe not enough, or they can't figure it out by themselves completely if they're just, you know, getting consulting from me. And I might help them move into a little more research stage before they really, you know, go back into selling, which could be let's replace maybe the buy button on the course with a consultation call so that you can really talk to maybe 10, 20 clients and figure out what they're looking for, really, what they don't like, like what's stopping them from buying. And then based on that, we can adjust it again and put the buy button back on, right? So there's like different things, different problems that people have, you know, hard time with. And I just kind of lead them like, okay, well, you know, this is what I would do and I'll show you how I would do it. And, you know, once they get past that, they can go away for a while again and then they can come back with something else. Like, well, now I, you know, maybe I'm making six figures. It's it's doing fine. I exhausted YouTube. I put in 10 more videos every week. Nothing changes. I've plateaued. What do I do next, right? And then we'll maybe move into remarketing or do like hijack other people's channels or we'll go into a different, you know, platform and see what happens but like just different problems and like it's always me like i want to you know be as helpful and leave as fast as possible because i like working on new stuff too i mean you kind of just covered an answer to something i wanted to ask but i was going to talk about shareability built into online courses and how to maintain shareability of a course over time you've just given some examples for example once you've exhausted maybe your ad platforms maybe you look at collaborating with someone else and leveraging their audience or utilizing their email list or whatever it is. I was also curious to know whether you've seen any benefit from sharing features such as refer a friend offers or discounts on future courses, because that's something I see a lot. Mm. I've also seen actually, I've also seen people that want to create a career from building online courses. So what they do is they offer very early lifetime discounts. Is that something you've seen and experimented with? Yeah. I mean, you can play with it. You know, these are all like, uh, like tactics. 
you know i yeah. I, I'm usually much more into like long-term evergreen strategies and, you know, discounts and all these little plays, they usually don't work very well forever, right? So I often like when someone like got tired of the launches and all these little games they're playing and I'm like, okay, when you want to build a real business, come to me and we'll figure that out. But I think for some people, they just need to get out of their system, right? Like, oh, I know I can do this, this, and then I was like, well, then you go do it. And then <laughs> when it's when that's done... We'll, we'll do it right. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, speaking about evergreen and speaking about, uh, I'm interested in trends over time. So being in this space and just being in marketing for a while now, it sounds like you've seen some very specific trends that are evergreen and that always continue to work, or at least principles within trends. Could you maybe speak on the things for yourself that you've seen in the online course space that are just trends that don't go away. Uh, just one example that's come up in this conversation is people not in not, not liking their boss. So, you know, is your boss always giving you trouble or get away from your boss tomorrow, you know, whatever it is. Uh, have you got any other examples like that that you see quite often? Well, the main thing is what I explain to, to people, because some of them are very sophisticated, right? Like, oh, I'm selling this and this to CEOs and, you know, my average. I'm like, you're still selling to people. You know, whether it's someone at Walmart or someone at Nordstrom or Rolex, still the same emotions and still same drives, right? So we still need to figure out how to play with their ego and how to, you know, uh, deal with their fears and their ambition. And, you know, like it's still the same type of thing that you're dealing with. And I think that surprises a lot of the ones I talk to. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, you work with the most exclusive CEOs on the planet, but they all still have fear stuff and they still have egos and they still want more and they don't want to be in this spot. If they wanted to, they would still be there. You know, like it's still the same things. They They want to be liked maybe, or they just want to be respected or feared. It depends on the person, but it's still the same things right we're still selling to people it's not numbers robots we still need to use the same tactics and strategies that we would deal with anyone else right and by tactics i mean like you know what are we going to use are we going to try to pull them away from the pain are we going to push them toward like the same type of things because it's still people right that's what we're, we're trying to sell and often what i find with businesses especially b2b when they realize that and with marketers that's when they're agencies and businesses really take off when they stop writing these these academic papers which are good for google and actually start writing to their customers like real customers right like you know the guy behind the desk making the purchases who's got you know stuff uh going on at his home and other things you know if you actually speak to them it becomes so much easier yeah so it's just about almost detaching yourself from that it's actually no actually it's more about attaching yourself to the customer directly than than, and f- and forgetting about trying too hard about utilizing all these marketing tactics and being what you think a marketer's meant to be. It's more about just remembering that there's an end user there. And I guess, like you said, just remember that there's all that's between you both is a desk and a computer and that's it. Yeah. So like with course marketing, for example, you know, you have um, a lot of similar situations going on. Some people would love to stop doing as many speaking gigs as they're doing and actually have something to sell, mm. right? Some people are in a bad spot and you know, they really need some extra time. They got to take care of a family member and they would really like something that just sells without them being around. You know, other people, they're missing out on a big income stream. Like I have something to sell to the lower end, to the higher end, but nothing for these. And if I had this, 
I could grow those other parts of the business, right? Like these are the actual reasons, right? And then, you know, I want to take my family on vacations and I want to be this and that and get my freedom back. Like it's all the same stuff. You just got to kind of figure out which element is this person more mostly focused on or your niche is mostly focused on. And that's what's going to make things sell, not the benefits or features. You know, me talking about, oh, yeah, and we're going to split test things on Facebook and then we're going to run the headline test and then the image test. You know, people are going to start falling asleep. No one cares. You just do it. You're the expert. To close out this episode for today, I want to know whether you take any online courses yourself, because I was thinking that you must see a lot of courses. There must be a lot that intrigues you. Are you someone that takes online courses to learn the skills that you've learned? Is that something you've done over your career? or do you not? And um, I'm, I'm just curious to know how that works for you in your process of yeah, learning. I mean, I got interests just like other people, right? Like if I want to learn a, a foreign language, like for example, uh, since I'm in Thailand at the moment, and I you know, thought about taking in-person classes, but you know, the main thing that you need to figure out before you do that in a tonal language is the tones. So I would take a course on the tones, you know, because I don't need to right. be in class. But then when I get in the class, I'm ready to go. When I was doing Muay Thai training a bit, um, which is the Thai kickboxing, um, the main thing was like how to get your shins <laughs> to be able to withstand contact and grip strength and stuff like that. So I would take a course and, you know, teach me that. Took stuff on nutrition. You know, if I want to have good results at the gym, let me get it from the people who really know what they're saying. You know, and I can see they're experts. With online stuff, like I actually much rather would learn from the old masters right so like advertising i would go to someone like david oglevy or people who just the old old masters and then all those concepts i'll actually test myself i hate learning from most of the people now who are just rehashing the same info um so yeah it will be very tough and this is what makes it very tough to create a good business course because you know most people look at you the same way but that's just you know like my thought like i uh, i want to be able to test i don't want to just read something or learn something and then be like well yeah this works and then give it to my clients like i better be pretty sure about this you know um so that's with business stuff but often yeah like with tax things and stuff i would take a course on um tax law and stuff like that because i want to be able to talk to my accountant in a much smarter way, I would do that. The same thing if there's a health thing that I'm interested in, I will t- maybe take a course. And then when the physician comes and talks with me, they're like, man, you know yourself. I'm like, yeah, I took a course and read five books. Like, you know, I'm not going to let you tell me what's, you know, what you think is working. Like, we're going to really have a conversation about this. So, yeah, it's the same thing, right? But it's about the interest and people need to pull me in the same way. Like, if I have a thought in my head, they better, you know, like interrupt me with exactly that thought and I'm in. That's really interesting. I was just curious to know your approach to learning because I think you touched on it as you were talking there. I think there's the danger that the positive to all of this is, as you've said earlier, taking this episode full circle, is that the gatekeeper is now removed in this world of online courses and you can go out and create what you want to create. The downside to that is that it becomes a saturated market and there's, it's really difficult as a learner to know maybe where you should start, how much you should learn and then how much you should apply. But I think the very least that you should do, as you've just said, is think about equip yourself for these conversations that you have in and just um, the beautiful world of online courses that you can go very niche and learn about whatever you want to learn in a really structured way. Thanks for sharing so much for your advice today. Thanks for having a conversation with me again, uh, because that's been really interesting. Before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know? where they can find you, where they can uh, find We Market Online Courses and any other information you want to share. Yeah, I just want to leave uh, the listeners with one idea because you kind of mentioned, you know, the gatekeepers again. 
And ju- just think about it as just as, as you would be the, the student, right? You always want to go back to that. If you're trying to learn a subject, for example, math, I think we should all have access to the best math teacher on the planet, not someone who's just in front of us because they're locally close, right? Just because they're, they're, you know, they're the ones who the school said is teaching you math. Like you should be teaching, learning math from the best possible person in the world. And that's kind of what happens when you, you know, also mentioned, you know, saturation. Well, as with anything else, the more advanced this industry becomes, the best in every niche will clean up. It's going to be the same thing. The top 10, 20% get the most of everything because the rest, like, why would you learn from a mediocre math teacher when you have the best one in front of you, right? So that's sort of a good thing and a bad thing. Depends on how good you are, you know, because you can either become one of those best ones in what you're going to teach or you're going to just be left because you should be, right? Now, with that said, you can find me on smartbrandmarketing.com or wemarketonlinecourses.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you again and maybe look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Take care. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, You need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.